Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. All right, last week we began a series called Lost in Translation. Uh, What we're looking at in this series is we're looking at some words that in the Greek language and the Hebrew language have uh, great depth and have layers of meaning But when they were translated over to the English language, they've lost some of that depth. So, for instance, last week we looked at two words. We looked at repentance. We looked at forgiveness. Uh, If you go back to the original language, what we found is uh, repentance is not the ugly part that you get out of the way to get to the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Repentance was central to the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's it's something that takes place in your heart uh, when you change your attention Uh, over onto God. Uh, Repentance literally means to change your mind, to think about something better. Uh, So repentance in our hearts means that we are dwelling on God's goodness, on God's kindness, on God's grace, and that is the the roots of repentance because when you do that in your heart, your feet will follow. And then we talked about forgiveness. Uh, uh, Forgiveness is amazing because if you look at the original language, it's not just a pardon from your sin uh, eternally, but When the Bible promises forgiveness, it's actually talking about a release from imprisonment and bondage. So uh, the Bible says that repentance is met with forgiveness and that forgiveness is not just eternal. It's meant for the here and now to release you from bondage to sin. So we're going to continue that series. Uh, Now, a few months ago, we did a series called Encounters with Jesus, one of my favorite series we've ever done. But one week we looked at obstacles to encountering Jesus Uh, And uh, of those, uh, just to refresh, remember, we talked about the lame beggar. The lame beggar had an obstacle he had to overcome to encounter Jesus. That obstacle was he knew if Jesus touched him and healed him, his life would change. It would change for the better, but it would also mean that he wouldn't be a beggar anymore. He would have to go to work, earn his own money. So there was change that would come from encountering Jesus. This is enough to keep some people from coming to the faith is recognizing uh, that Jesus is probably going to change some things about them. We serve a come-as-you-are God. He's not always a stay-as-you-are God. Uh, And sometimes that obstacle actually keeps people away. Uh, The man lowered through the roof to get to Jesus by his friends. We talked about the obstacle he had to overcome was someone had to take him to Jesus Uh, My prayer is that no one will have that excuse in our community that they can say, I never came to Jesus because nobody ever took me to Jesus. That's why we're here, church. That's why you're here and you're where you are is because we're taking people to Jesus. My prayer is that we would be a church exploding with growth because everybody is taking somebody to Jesus. Does that sound good? All right. And then uh, one other thing we looked at in that series, an obstacle, was the woman with the issue of blood. The obstacle she had to overcome was the mindset of the law, because the law said if she was bleeding, which she was, she could not approach anything that was holy until she was clean. She had to overcome that mindset and say, uh, I'm not going to approach him after I'm clean. I'm going to approach him to become clean. She had to overcome the mindset of the law. I say all that because uh, we're looking at a letter that Paul wrote And most of Paul's audience, this was the greatest obstacle that they had to overcome, was the mindset of the law. Uh, The law was something that was all they had ever known, all their parents and grandparents, all that had been known for generations. The basic concept of the law was what you do 
determines whether or not you have the favor of God on your life. What you do determines whether you have his blessing, whether you have right standing. In Deuteronomy 30, uh, God said, I set before you this day life and death, choose life. And then he says, if you obey me, it'll be met with life and blessing. If you disobey, it'll be met with cursing, uh, curses and death. So the basic concept of the law is what you do determines whether you have favor with God. Now, uh, there's something we do here as a church. We've actually done it from day one, which is if, if it's your first time with us or if you've never done it, I encourage you to fill out a connection card. Uh, take that connection card, let us know who you are, and just turn it in at the information table. And we want to give you a mug and a T-shirt just to say thank you for coming. But I think I'm going to change that up a little bit. Uh, I've decided that we're going to get rid of the mugs, uh, and instead, if it's your first time with us, you get this. Uh, it's the law of Moses. It is 613 laws. Uh, from now on, if it's your first time here, I'm going to say, you follow every word in here to a T. Every word. I'm not saying that you do more good than bad. Uh, in fact, in Ezekiel, it says, if someone who is righteous disobeys, that person's former righteousness will count for nothing. So I'm not saying to do more good than bad. I'm saying you follow every word. And if you mess up, don't come back until you've made a sacrifice of some sort. I hope you have a lot of pets because there are going to be a lot of sacrifices. <laughs> now, uh, I do want you to come back, so I want you to know I put a little smiley face on the inserts inside to soften the blow. But if I did that this morning, if I gave you a copy of the law and I said you have to follow every word, no one would come back. Why? Because it's so foreign to us, this idea of living under the law, because all we have ever really known is living under God's grace. What we should recognize as we're reading the Bible is most of Paul's audience, the idea of grace was so foreign to them because all they had ever known was God's law. So Paul has this great challenge, challenge of, of how do I get the gospel of God's grace through this concrete barrier over their hearts called God's law? Now you say, why was there a law at all? Why did things work that way? Because it sounds kind of harsh. It sounds kind of unreasonable. But uh, actually, in reality, it's just a reflection of God's holiness. His perfection uh, demands perfection. In fact, Hebrews says that the only problem with the law wasn't actually a problem with the law. It was a problem with man's ability to keep the law. And Paul even said the law itself was holy and righteous and good. So the law itself is just a reflection of God's perfection and his holiness. The second purpose of the law is to show us undeniably that you cannot do it. It shows undeniably that you need the grace of God. But again, Paul's audience has this mindset that has been in place for generations that the only way to achieve the favor of God is by perfect and complete holiness. If a mistake was made, you sacrifice an animal and you, and you go back to it. 
And, and it's this cycle of ongoing uh, sin and repentance and sacrifice. Sin and repentance. And it's this cycle that looked like it would never end. So how can Paul get this standalone message of grace into their hearts? Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, but it's kind of human nature that we get set in our ways. Nobody's ever noticed it before. I, I can see one. Uh, I, I had an older co coworker. Uh, he's retired since, but uh, he'd been doing the same job the same way for 30 years, over 30 years. I don't know if you know, but technology has come a long way in 30 years. And we would tell him from time to time, there's actually a much, much more efficient way of doing this now. It's about 10 times faster. And he would say the same thing, and he said it to me. He said, don't you think, if I've been doing the same thing the same way for 30 years, that I would have learned by now if there's a quicker way of doing it? And I thought, I would love to think that, but you won't change your ways. You're still doing it the same way because we get set in our ways. Paul is talking to an audience who hasn't been doing the same thing the same way for a few years. It's been this way for over a thousand years. The law is the only way to God. But what Paul does is he incorporates what I believe is a brilliant strategy to get into the hearts of his audience. And we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, Paul, after a brief introduction in the book of Romans, he lays out what I would say is an opening statement. It's kind of the goal of the message he is trying to get across to the people. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In another place, he calls it the gospel of grace. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Now, why do I say that I believe this is brilliant on Paul's behalf? It's actually something that gets lost in the translation because what Paul actually does here is Paul begins using uh, language of the law. He begins using judicial language and legal language because that language would strike a chord with his audience. So when Paul says here that the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith, is actually talking about a legal standing of righteousness where you are legally right before God. Paul is, uh, he recognizes that if his audience knows one thing, it's the law. So what he's going to do is he's going to come to where they are and present the gospel of grace against the backdrop of the law in a way that they can connect with it. Does that make sense? Okay. In fact, right after this, uh, Paul, the trend kind of continues after this opening statement uh, in Romans. He kind of goes into the depravity of mankind, the sinful state of man. Uh, and, and again, he, he, it leads to another statement where he is appealing to his audience using that same language. In Romans chapter 1, verse 32, Paul says, Although humanity knows God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. Somebody say death. They not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. Uh, he says, humanity knows God's righteous decree. Again, he's going back into the legal language. I want to show you just real quick uh, the word for righteous decree, uh, diacoma. Uh, literally, it means a judicial decision or a sentence. So you can see he is using legal language. And, and what he is saying to them uh, is the judicial sentence for sin 
is death. So Paul is connecting with them now on, on two levels. First of all, it's the language of the law. He's speaking to them in a language that they understand. And the second way is Paul is finding common ground with them. He's saying, actually, I agree with you here. The, the sentence for sin is death. He actually calls it later the law of sin and death. What Paul is doing is he is finding common ground with his audience. He's saying, you understand the law. I'm presenting the gospel against the backdrop of the law. And what I actually want to do is stop there for a minute uh, because I want you to see that Paul did not have this blanket message to reach every church and every believer, uh, every uh, region, but Paul strategically presented the gospel in a way that would connect with his audience. He even wrote about it in 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 9. He said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew uh, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one of those. Uh, to the weak, in verse 22, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. Paul says, how do you lead people to Jesus? You don't tell them they need to come to where you are in life. You actually go to where they are in life. Uh, one of the problems, the challenges in the church today is we have this mindset that we will present the gospel to the point of inconvenience and then we'll give up. What Paul said was, I prioritize the gospel and I will do whatever I need to, uh, of myself to reach people with the gospel. Now, I'm saying this because we have to get out of the mindset in, in the church as a whole today that I am not here to advance the gospel on your behalf. I am here biblically to equip you to advance the gospel. I am not here to share the gospel for you. I am here to equip you to share the gospel. Uh, God's church ha has to recognize that we are in such a place as this, for such a time as this, you have been strategically placed by God. The question is, will you strategically respond? Now, I'm not at all saying that we should twist the gospel. Uh, what I'm saying uh, is that if we prioritize the gospel, think if we sat down and we just wrote down a list of our priorities. Where does spreading the gospel fall our, on our personal list of priorities? See, the, the fact of the matter with Paul was it was right there at the top. With most of us today, uh, it's so far down that it just kind of gets lost in the mix. And what I ask is, how is this possible when the last words out of Jesus' mouth on this earth were, hey, go make more disciples. Take the gospel everywhere. We have to bring that priority of spreading the gospel up higher on our list. We have to actually be strategic. Did you know that you are in the lives of people that I will never meet in my life? God has placed you there. Do you believe we serve a God of providence? Do you believe we serve a God of providence who said, I need a Tim and a Caitlin in Cranberry, Pennsylvania in 2021? Church, 
God is a God of strategy, and he is calling you to reach people, not with a blanket message of the gospel, but to say, how can I connect with them and bring them to a gospel, the gospel of grace, on their level? This was the brilliance of Paul in the book of Romans, as he is coming to their level, he is speaking their language, he is finding common ground, saying, yeah, I actually agree with you that sin requires death. In fact, if we go back, he says in Romans chapter 2 that this righteous judgment, that sentence, uh, would soon be revealed by God, using legal language again. And then uh, he says of Adam that all of us are actually due the same sentence. Now, I'm going to skip around here just a little bit just to, to make a point. Uh, in Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 12, Paul says this, and remember he's writing to this audience that he's trying to connect with. He says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. He's connecting with his audience. Uh, the next verse in chapter, or verse 14, or it might be 16, uh, 16, he says, the judgment, that legal decision that followed one sin brought condemnation. Go ahead to the next one, verse 18. And that one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Now, when Paul uses this word condemnation, we're going to go back into that language because when we think of condemnation, we think, oh, I feel guilty right now. That's the feeling of condemnation. Actually, when the Bible talks about condemnation, it's much, much heavier than that. If you put the original language up there, go ahead to the definition for me. It means a verdict or a sentencing to hell. When, when Paul agrees with the people here, he says that because we are all sinners, we are sentenced to hell. Is that exciting? No? Okay. But Paul is writing to the church in a way that they will connect with him. And then he gets to Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 1, and he just kind of unleashes the backbone of the gospel. In verse 1, he says of chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's kind of set him up to get to this point of saying, you're right about all of that. Sin legally requires death. But he gets to chapter 8 and he says, but there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That sentencing on your life has been completely taken away. Um, Emily and I have uh, kind of a routine in our life that by the time we get the kids down, it's usually pushing 9 o'clock when everything is cleaned up. So we sit down and we watch a show or something uh, before we go to bed. And I have my own routine, which is I fall asleep within the first 10 minutes, uh, almost every night. But sometimes I will wake up at the end of the show or the end of the movie, and I'll just be thinking, what? I missed something big. How did we get from there to here? That's just taken place in the book of Romans. How did we get from this place of sin uh, begets death, eternal torment for everyone, to Romans chapter 8 where he says, now if you're in Christ, it's not upon you at all. We missed something big here, and we're going to find out what it is. Somebody get excited. I want to get excited. Can we do that? All right. Uh, so Paul bridges the gap here using one single word in Romans chapter 3. 
Beginning in verse 23, he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified. Somebody say justified. Justified, justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. To bridge the gap, Paul once again uses a legal term that they would connect with, and he says that we have been justified. Can we put that word on the screen? Going back to the original language, it's the word uh, Dekayoho, or something along those lines. And I want to look at the, the uh, meaning of that word when he says we are justified in Christ. He says, we have been declared or pronounced or rendered just and righteous and innocent. Innocent in the court of law on the basis of what? Paul says on the basis of grace, on the basis of faith, on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Because of the price that was paid on the cross, that sentence, that verdict was not ignored. It was paid by Christ on the cross. His death was your sentence. And what you receive is justification where you have been declared completely and legally innocent. But I want to take this definition, definition one step further. Uh, because if you peel back the layer, there's one more meaning of it. It means to render one to be innocent of every accusation. Do you know what the Bible says of Satan in Revelation chapter 12? It says he is the accuser of the brethren. That night and day he is making accusation after accusation. Because church, because of the price paid on the cross... Every accusation of the enemy, you have been declared innocent. And somebody needs to recognize not just eternal innocence, but when, when Satan begins yelling at you, you are not loved. You are not worthy. You will never be forgiven of the, the sin you have committed. God is saying, no, you have been justified in Christ. And every accusation that the enemy make, makes against you, you are innocent of that accusation. This morning, I, I want to back up, if we can, back to, to Romans chapter 8. And Renee, you, if you want to go ahead and come. And we're going to read a little further in this passage where Paul writes, There is no condemnation. There is no sentence anymore. There is no verdict against you anymore if you are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of of sin and death. So there's that law of sin and death that everyone in his audience is familiar with. Sin begets death. But Paul says, because of the work of Christ, you have been set free from that law and you're now under a, a new law. And then he says, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Then I love this, he says, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now you are not under condemnation. The Bible actually says Jesus condemned sin instead. And he says this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, remember I said perfection demands perfection. That is the righteous requirement of the law. You have to meet every command well, now it's been met for you. That is the righteous requirement of the law. Might be fully met in who? In us. So because Jesus 
met every requirement of the law and you are in Christ Jesus, you meet the righteous requirement of the law. That means that before God you are righteous and you are holy, you are innocent, you have been made just, you are innocent of every accusation that can possibly be thrown against you. Can you guys stand this morning? Paul goes on to say that recognizing we have been set free from the condemnation of our sins, that, that, that's required of our sins, doesn't release us to sin, it frees us from bondage to that sin. Paul would talk about how he continuously had to look forward to Christ, forget what's behind him, and look forward. And this morning, I believe there are some in here who, who need to stop looking behind you and begin embracing that, no, you are innocent in Christ and pursue Christ. Take the chains off and pursue Christ. But you know, if you are weighted down by your past sin, you won't be able to spread the gospel because you'll just be thinking about everything that you've done. Someone gave me the example once of, of uh, just the, the car. The rear view mirror is much smaller than the windshield for a reason because you have to be focused on what is ahead of you. It's not that you're ignorant of what's behind you. It's actually good to, to remember what you've been set free from. But you are pressing on towards Jesus Christ. We talked about repentance last week. It isn't dragging yourself through the mud. It's just turning your attention to God. Father, I thank you again for your presence here. And I pray this morning as, as we go back into worship, we do so with, with freedom, God, that our chains have fallen off, Lord, that every obstacle has been removed, that we come before you innocent and free and chosen, God, by you. And I just pray that your presence continues to meet us here. Church, as Renee leads us, I just want to challenge you to ask yourself, have you put that condemnation back on yourself that Jesus paid for at the cross? I remember someone saying that they had a, a dream one time where, where they encountered Jesus, and, and it was a very real dream. But they said that Jesus kept yelling at them, give me my stuff back. And they're confused, and he's saying, give me my stuff back. And they're confused, and he says, you give me that back because I paid for it on the cross. And, and we, we've taken the guilt, and we say, no, Jesus, you can't have this because I know what I did, and I'm going to wear it forever. And Jesus is saying, I paid for it on the cross. Give it back. Church, somebody needs to give it back this morning.
leads us, I'm going to be quiet. Somebody say amen. All right. Just enter his presence this morning. You know, what's so interesting about uh, really all of Paul's letters, but in the book of Romans, is he's writing to an audience and who so many of them are living as if grace is not their reality. And you know, we, we have that a lot today where we go to church and we read the Bible, but when we walk out the doors, we don't actually live as if grace is our reality. Church, can you live out there as though grace is your reality and the love of God is your reality? Calling is your reality. Happy Father's Day. Lord, I pray you go with us this week. I pray you open our eyes. Lord, I pray that you would plant strategies in our hearts for advancing your kingdom. In Jesus' name, everybody said. All right. Well, have a, have a great weekend. Uh, thank you so much for coming, and happy Father's Day. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.